Welcome to the Knowledge Entrepreneurs Show, where we celebrate the innovators driving change in the education industry. At Edison OS, we've worked with over 500 knowledge entrepreneurs to turn their edtech ideas into profitable businesses. In today's episode of the Knowledge Entrepreneur Show, we have Susan Weeks, the founder of the Crafty Course Booster. Susan Weeks is the Crafty Course Profit Booster and the host of Stitchery Stories, the globally popular textile art podcast. Susan teaches creative people how to create a profitable, online, on-demand version of their popular in-person classes, even if they are scared of the techie stuff. Through her long corporate career in technology and training and running her online knowledge-based business, Susan has been transforming lives, careers, and businesses with her training since 1996. Hi, Sue. Good morning. Welcome to the Knowledge Entrepreneur Show. Thank you so much for taking your time out to be here with me today. Oh, it's an absolute pleasure, and thank you for inviting me. And it's it's a while since I've um, done a podcast, so well, not my own, but uh, yeah, I'm I'm really looking forward to it. Thank you so much. And I think it's afternoon for you, isn't it? And it's morning for me because I'm in yeah, I'm in yeah. I'm in Yorkshire on the East Yorkshire coast in the UK. So I hope everybody can understand my Yorkshire accent. <laughs> so far, so good, Sue. Thank you. It's <laughs> our pleasure to have you on the show, um, Sue. Uh, before we get started with the main topic, if you can, you know, walk us through your journey. Uh, you've got a pretty rich journey. You've done so much. Um, you know, if you can just walk us through that journey and how uh, did that lead to the point where you started your podcast? Because I think that's where everything kind of fell in together. Yeah, exactly. So. <clears throat> Yeah, I'll try and go for a short nutshell. Oh, not always easy. Um, yeah, so I've basically, my corporate career started as a graduate with Nissan back in 1988. Yes, I am that old. <laughs> and um, yeah, I'm, I went into the computing, the IT department and started learning the mainframe programming language. And we, this may crop up later on, but the trainer was frankly dreadful and could only explain the programming code in terms of other programming code which is no use if you haven't done any coding before right so it was like uh, it was it was it was really difficult so that set me on the path of I'm really determined that nobody should struggle like I did you know I passed all the aptitude tests I'm an intelligent person why can't I learn this it was because the trainer was dreadful um, anyway, so that also got me interested in learning and training. So a couple of years later, I started, you know, Nissan paid for you to, you know, if you wanted to learn other things in your own time, they would support that. So I, in my own time, did a, a training and um, a development qualification. But so meanwhile, Nissan, I was like, you know, working my way, working on complicated manufacturing systems. Um, and then it got to the point where they decided they wanted to bring in some apprentices. So it was quite, it was, the factory was new, pretty much new, and grew very quickly. So they decided they wanted some apprentices. And then somebody says, oh, Sue, you've been doing a training qualification, haven't you? So, yes. <laughs> so um, I developed the first um, training course for the apprentices there. So I really enjoyed that. Not too long after that, 
I was headhunted by um, a quickly new startup, which was an outsourcing company with a difference in that it wasn't the usual outsourcing model. We were experts that the global banks couldn't tempt to London or New York or wherever. We, you know, we, this is all in the north of England. So we were well paid. Why the hell would we want to go and live in London? No reason at all. So some people realised there was this pool of very experienced people who would not go and work in the major centres. So they came to us. Um, so I did a lot of work with Morgan Stanley. And at first it was going to be a flat structure and we were kind of, bring, we were kind of brought in as kind of an expert support, as it were. Um, very quickly, I finished up running a team. So that was hilarious. So this turned the outsourcing model totally on its head. So I was running a team of Morgan Stanley employees as an outsourced person. <clears throat> um, and, and so it went from there. Our company started to wanted to grow really quickly. And its model was headhunting and poaching people. You can only you can only poach and headhunt so many people. You run out yeah. of the cherry-picked people that you want. But we needed yeah. to grow. We had a lot of um, corporate work coming in from like Morgan Stanley and various others. <clears throat> so then it was like, hmm, Sue, didn't you say you've written a program, a, a training program in this language called Natural? And, and haven't you done that? Yes, yes, I have. Ah, right, okay, <clears throat> right. You're not doing any more project work. You're out of that. You're our training person. Uh, and I think, in a, you know, in a few years, so we would then recruit very experienced people, but teach them in that programming language. So that's what I was doing. So I, now I was an IT trainer. Then I, did, then I kind of grew the training function. Um, and then as a deeper relationship with our clients, I then finished up being part of Morgan Stanley's IT graduate training scheme. Again, a hilarious kind of let's tip the outsourcing model. So I used to spend a lot of time down in London, ironically, um, teaching Morgan Stanley graduates the mainframe programming thing. So, you know, mainframe programming was still a thing then. Um, so then I was doing two jobs. So I was creating the, um, developing the uh, training function. So then I had a fully remote team. Again, this is, Oh, 25, 30, 25 years ago when remote yeah. working wasn't really a thing and having, yeah. a, having a remote team wasn't a thing, I had a remote team. So we had five offices across the north of England at this point. And so I then took um, somebody from each of the offices who wanted to learn training skills. And then I grew a team of in-house trainers because one person couldn't do everything that needed doing. Yeah. And we were learning. I brought a, a big learning management platform in as well so people could learn different programming languages and stuff in their own time. Um, yeah, so, so and all of those people, I think there was five, have all since left the IT industry and have gone to be teachers. So that was really, you know, it's been really nice that I actually encouraged. So, you know, people have gone in actual schools. Somebody went over to China teaching English over there, um, all over. So that's been really fascinating as a, as a side point. Um, life changed. And I just thought, you know, this corporate thing, absolutely sick of it. I'm sick of London. I'm sick of all of this. I cannot, I just cannot. There was a lot of other things went on. I shan't go into that. So in a nutshell, I walked away from that career. Um, had an unexpected child, unexpectedly moved to Ireland, then went to France, 
um, and lived in France for seven, eight years. Whilst I was in France, when my son finally went to school, it was like, yeah. <laughs> um, I thought, right, what shall I do? And the only employment opportunities really in rural France were the local supermarket, if you were really lucky, or the chicken factory. I didn't fancy the chicken factory, and I was well down on the list of people who would ever get a job at the supermarket because I was English. Yes, I could speak French, but right, what shall I do? So then I thought, ah, the internet's kind of taken off while I've been outgoing mouldy. Um, so I had to learn about that. So I learned all about internet marketing and found a company called VA Classroom, a virtual assistant training. I thought, ah, yes, this is a good way of learning internet marketing uh, and all the stuff. Um, and kind of got involved with them. Long story short, finished up being their technical trainer. And um, so I, I did set client services for a long time. So I've served global clients um, in video marketing and all sorts of things. Uh, talking to the guy who, the founder of uh, Freelance University one day, he said, oh, he says, you've done training. Said, yeah, yeah, I did all these things. He says, you've been sitting under my nose. I've been looking for <laughs> you for years and here you are. So it wasn't me specifically, but kind of me as the kind of skills. So uh, that then brought on, a, a you know, so as a freelancer, I was still doing services as well, providing yeah. um support for freelance university and so then I started to really get into course creation so every couple of months I would create a new course so I've created them on all all the common platforms so we've got you know MailChimp and Asana and Dubsado and I did Pinterest and Teachable and there's Zapier there's that many Pinterest Canva Teachable there's so many so I was like you know doing those I was supporting their students I was one of their business mentors as well so I was busy in their community teaching all of this you know supporting people with their VA business and, and freelance business and so forth um one of the courses that they started off was podcasting so I did their original podcast course that somebody else did there was no, um, they finished up with nobody to support that or nobody with any experience. So I kind of stepped up and said, oh, yeah, uh, if you want me to answer questions about podcasting, I'm happy to do that. Um, that was one of the ins of me being one of their mentors. But whilst I was, so then I started offering podcasting services. I thought this is easier to market because it's, nobody believes a person can have experience in so many things. It's true. So I thought, ah, podcast marketing. So again, this is back in 2016 when podcasting was just starting to get a bit more mainstream. Um, so I thought I needed to have a podcast because I did not feel that you can authentically offer podcasting services if you don't have your own podcast. Yeah. That just does not work for me. What, what could I do? The thing is always, well, what's your passions? What's your hobbies? Well, mine is embroidery and textile art. So the two extremes of my personality is uh, for a long time, I worked with code that wrote code 30 years ago before it was a thing. And I like messing around with embroidery and textile art. How is this true? I realized it's opposite ends of creativity. They're yeah. both very creative. So... I thought, right, I'll do a podcast on textile art. And everyone was saying, 
how the hell's that going to work, Sue? It's a visual topic. I said, yes, but we all sit and talk about it. So that's what I'm going to do. Started with three friends in Yorkshire who were brave guinea pigs in 2017. Very quickly, it, it went global. I'm like, oh, crikey, I've got people literally from all over the world listening in because there wasn't really one. There were a few kind of American people doing sort of a lot of quilting and things, but not how I was doing it. So there we are. So hilariously, uh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> top ranked podcast on textile art, which then was like my hobby. And I never monetized it or anything. It just took a huge amount of time and effort. As you know, running a yeah. podcast is not easy. Don't anybody ever think it's easy, anyone listening. For God's sake, it's not. It seems it, but there's a huge amount of work involved. Anyway, <clears throat> so the podcast. So I was interviewing a textile artists about their art, their business, the story. You know, there's always a story behind all these things. Yeah, yeah. And then, of course, in the beginning of 2020, the good old pandemic kind of attacked us all. And a lot of the artists were you know, have a, different streams of income coming in. <clears throat> and right. a lot of them t teach in-person classes and also exhibit as well as selling art. All of a sudden, big chunks of their revenue was cancelled and closed. There was no in-person classes. There was no exhibitions, etc. And then a few people, then I started getting this trickle of inquiries. Yeah, so, you know about computers and the internet and things like that, don't you? Do you know anybody who could teach me how to create an online course? And I just went, go. That was me. <laughs> because I'd never talked about online courses. Meanwhile, as I was doing this podcast, I was creating all of these courses and being a mentor to all these online, you know, online freelancers. But the two things, it was like the Berlin Wall stuck in the middle of them all. The two worlds didn't didn't collide at all it was really when I think about it absolutely ridiculous what was I thinking about or not thinking about so, so that's when I just thought hang on a minute I can bring these things together now I've got this accidental audience and there's a subset in there of people who listen who are the textile artists who wants to be able to bring a different stream of income and not be reliant on in-person classes, but they're really good at their creativity and their art, not so good at the technical stuff. Not everyone's like me, obviously. And also, I have an audience. We tend to attract an audience like us. So I've got this audience of ladies in their mid-50s you know, onwards, pretty much, who are all going, but Sue, we don't know anything about computing and the internet and stuff. You know, will you teach us? And they don't, I don't want this to sound awful, but they don't really want to learn from somebody younger who whizzes the mouse around and goes too fast. It's just a fact of life. I'm not, I hope I'm not offending anyone here, but it's just, this is true. People want to learn in the, the way in which they want to learn with right. the teacher that is the right teacher for them, which goes right back full circle to that first absolutely dreadful tech teacher who I nearly got sacked because I could not learn. Once I got somebody to help me, I was away and literally was then one of the experts in this thing which wrote code. You know, code which wrote code didn't wasn't really a thing 30 years ago. So it wasn't me being stupid. It was the damage of a poor teacher. So that comes right back full circle to 
what I'm really focused on is now, you know, the, if I was a Venn diagram, there's three circles now, Jag. There's technology, there's training, and there's textile art. And in the middle, there's me. So there we are. That was a bit rambling, wasn't it, for a short nutshell? But no, 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 It was fascinating. <laughs> and uh, the three things that you said, I think if you add another one, it becomes the Japanese term called ikigai. Yes, uh, it is. Ikigai, yes. <clears throat> I think uh, everybody is somewhere trying to find their ikigai. And uh, your, your story, the way you narrated it, was like as if, you know, uh, your life knew you know what I know what exactly you need to do because in the future you need all these things to so just do these you know <laughs> it's really true and and honestly whilst you're in the weeds of you know the, the the intense corporate career there was a lot of personal things went on so I'll I'll, I'll share yeah. one I'll share one little story with you which sure. was the catalyst for why I, one of the catalysts for why I walked away from my corporate career. So on September the 11th, 2001, that's an important date. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I was working down in Canary Wharf, uh, in the financial district in London where Morgan Stanley's offices were. Mm. We were in all the skyscrapers. Right. I was teaching, it was a really dull subject called JCL, Job Control Language, it's just full of dots and squiggles and lines, and it's horrible. But that's what makes the mainframes work. So I was teaching nice. this. It was, it's, it's just, oh God, it's boring, right? So trying to make something like this interesting, challenge. The day turned out a lot more not boring than I'd planned. So there we were, teaching away. And the classroom had some big, you know, screens and so on a break time, we'd sometimes put the like the news on or the t- TV, something like that. So somebody says, oh, Sue, can we just put the news on? There's something going on. So, yeah, okay. <gasps> so there we were, the images of those planes bashing yeah. into the World Trade Center. And several of those students just started screaming and crying because they had friends who were also graduates who were in those buildings. Right. And that was like the most traumatic when you suddenly think hang on a minute in this moment I'm teaching you know I'm responsible for these this group of you know I was I was in my kind of mid-30s they were in their early 20s I thought oh crikey I'm in charge of these people and we were not in the main Morgan Stanley building so we didn't have you know the growing out of the building so we was in some other offices in a nearby building without all the corporate support and I was thinking Right, what do we do now? So then we got a message. Look, we're kind of all on alert because we're a financial centre. We don't know if this is going to happen. Flights have been stopped. Just like stay where you are, kind of like, you know, pay attention. Um, And so shortly afterwards, we then had to evacuate the evacuated Canary Wharf and I had to walk back. I was staying in a flat nearby. So it was just like, do you know what? Actually, I've had enough of this. I don't want to be in London. I don't want to be stuck in a place like this with this kind of thing going on. You know, I'm a country girl from Yorkshire. It was just like, and it was one of those moments, Jack, one of those moments where, again, the role of the teacher really kind of came forward um, and kind of then going from teaching something really dull, the dullest computer topic ever, to dealing now with screaming you know, very, very upset people. It was just like, 
So that was one of the catalysts that uh, that I just thought I've had had enough of doing this. So I'm going back to Yorkshire, thank you. So yeah, it was uh, quite interesting. But yeah, our path. It, it when you're in all of that, you can't really see why on earth you're doing all of this. Why is this happening? But it's only in the last couple of years. So I'm like, you know, I'm 58 now. I, I'll say that I'm 58. It's only really in the last couple of years when I sat down and thought, how does all this make sense? And yes, in, and I have sat down with an icky guy and, you know, what's your passion and your, your thing that yeah, you can make money yeah. out of and what do people want and, and all the th- what can you do and all those things. And that's when I just thought, hang on a minute, this all now fits in. Yeah. Quite beautifully, actually. You know, this random, seemingly random selection of things. Somebody who's really technical who really likes embroidery of like what, you know, <laughs> and, and has got training skills and all the internet stuff, you know, oh, yes, it finally fits. So if anybody's sitting there thinking, how on earth am I going to make these random things fit together? Truly, there is a way, there, there is a way it will work, but it's not always obvious and it's not the first thing. Yeah. It's not the first thing, you know. I mean, I've been working online 20, since 2010, so I've evolved through internet marketing services and podcasting services, and you know, this all sorts of things to get now where I am. Thinking, so I'm always feeling as if I'm like not starting again. It's evolving, you know, as things evolve. So yeah, just thought I'd just yeah. throw, throw that story in for you. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, great because you know. Uh, this uh, kind of reminds me of a very funny, uh, so, you know, in India, right, there are a lot of languages and Hindi is, of course, the most spoken language. But then, you know, I am I speak a language called Tamil and uh, there's an actor, uh, you know, in a movie who says, uh, I think when somebody asks, oh, you know what, how did you achieve this? He says this, see, this takes a certain combination of a, of a blind stupidity and a little bit of confidence. <laughs> What I mean when I say blind stupidity is not negative, right? I mean, uh, people true. when you do not true. have some clarity and you take a decision, it come it may become stupid. But you know, if if that's what it takes, uh, you know, to try different things because different things are the ones that fall into place yeah. together to you know uh, to make something out of it. So it just reminded me of that, and uh, sometimes it's a little comforting to know that some of the stupid things that you may do, well, who knows in the future? You know, a little bit of hope. So it, it, it will, you know, and that's the, that's the thing that I've really realized is you need confidence in yourself, Jag, confidence in yourself that take that next step. Try, yeah. just try, take that next step. It doesn't matter how little it is, it's a step forward. And this is when I get really frustrated with the kind of big internet guru people who it's like, oh, well, I've made 42 million and I've done this and these things and I run an eight-figure business and blah, blah, blah. It's not it's not most people's reality. And yeah. the position from which they're talking is they've forgotten what it was like pretty much yes. at the start. Yes. And people see that one person and don't always realize that one person now will have a massive team behind them, you know. And so people say, oh, look, they're on, they're everywhere. They're on all these platforms and they're doing all these things. And, oh, how can they do it? And I'm struggling. Well, because you're one person and they've got a big team and it, they now have a money-making machine. 
And that's what it is. It's a marketing money machine. They put money in the top and people and resources and plop, 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 money comes out of the bottom, more of it. And that's not the reality of most people. And I think it can be overwhelming when we then start to chase somebody else's path that's on a completely different universe. You know, you follow your own path, have your own confidence in what you're doing. And I always used to say, um, and I've experienced this so many times, if you've got a rubbish client, and let's face it, some clients are rubbish. You know, I'm going to say this, honest, they are rubbish. And you just think, do you know, really, I really don't want this client, actually. I don't want to be turning money away, but they are just a pain. And quite often, if you do think, right, do you know what, that's it, I'm sacking, I'm, I'm firing that client. You get rid of them. The door opens every single time. That door will open into somebody far better, far more suitable or a better opportunity, you know. So I'm a great believer. I'm not a religious person at all, not at all. But I am a great believer in something like that. You know, every time I've been in that situation, I thought, yeah, this is rubbish. I I, I have the courage of my own convictions and stop that thing. Something better opens up almost immediately so yeah yeah true so before we get into you know the dynamics and the details of what you do about course creation a couple of things i just wanted to touch on a lighter note you mentioned a few times about uh you know london which came out came out like you know not a lot of people like london or you know you wanted to get away from london what's that all about (laughs) well um yeah so anybody familiar with the geography of the UK, London's down in the south. That's like the epicentre of the country. I live up in the north in Yorkshire. It's a more right. r- rural. I've always lived in quite a rural environment. And there was just, just didn't want to go and live in that big city. It's exciting to go down for a couple of weeks or, you know, to go and work for a few weeks at a time and then go home again. But just didn't want that kind of big city life. I've always been actually quite a country girl and I am actually a massive introvert and nobody ever understands that. So I really like to spend a lot of my time on my own, being quiet with my art or, you know, whatever it is, is, you know, so yeah, I just didn't want to have that big, that big city thing. And I think the older you get, the less inclined you are because all of the things that you want to be in a big city for, have less and less interest as well. So, yeah, so that that was it. But it, that was, as I say, the people who formed that company really understood, here's back to a niche again, here's a unique niche here. They knew there was this pool of people, particularly in the north of England, working at places like Nissan and for the um, British Railways and I think the police. Several large organisations use this very specific um mainframe programming language and they knew they knew where those sites were they knew where there was a pool of people so hey let's set up an office there and poach everybody that was there but it was down to that niche you know they realized that the large global banks want who've got their fancy offices in canary wharf in the middle of new york in the middle of wherever they struggle and they were struggling then and probably struggle even more now, they were struggling to get that high level of staff that they wanted. 
because right. there, was so, there was all us folks sitting up in the north of England where cost of living was a lot, lot cheaper. Cost, mm. the, the enjoyment of living was much nicer and we were on good money. So actually we were better off because we weren't paying as much out in you know house prices and commuting and all that stuff. So right. why would we go and move to those centres? Now, right. again, obviously, the whole kind of work from home movement has, has, has really taken off over the last few years. But as I say, I had a fully remote team. I quite often would say, I don't know what I'm going to, I had an hour's commute, I don't know, I'm, I'm going to stay at home today, I'll work from home, or I would have a day when I was down in London. So the, the connectivity was much more challenging you know, right. 25 years ago, it was still possible. And of course, we had all those hilarious audio-only telephone conferences as well yeah, to, to yeah. endure. But uh, yeah, so that that was it really. It was just, you know, me personally, I didn't want to, you know, be down in right. the city. It was exciting for a few, you know, a few weeks at a time, but then I could escape back to Yorkshire. Right. So, but I know a lot of younger people want to be in the, you know, the excitement of the excitement of the city. So, city. yeah. Right. <laughs> you know, talking about the niche, it when I was reading, uh, you know, what you had sent to me, and then when I was trying to learn more about you, it took a while for me to f- connect the <laughs> your podcast and the virtuality works, right? Okay, now here's something, you know, which is a passion. Sue's passion is to talk about. And then I realized, okay, the people that you talk to are teaching something in person and they want to digitize that. And wow, what a connection. Yes, Um, yes, yes. And what a niche that is. It gives so much of hope and, you know, so much of positive encouragement to people to figure out their own deep niches, right? Um, yes, I thought uh, we so. could probably talk about that, uh, you know. So uh, I'm sure when people come to you about, you know, creating courses, I'm sure now, you know, you're not only catering to people who are in the embroidery or the textile art. I'm sure you've got a lot of other people creating a lot of other courses. When it comes to picking niche, what do you, you know, what do you have to teach? You know, what do you advise people on? How do they do that? I mean, to be fair, the people who come to me, are already fairly niche and already you know because again they've already been teaching that thing in some way or other or have been offering uh you know like a physical service in something and have realized that you know you've got there's that plateau isn't there there's you've got no more hours in the day you you have to do something digital to be able to expand these days um, so quite right. often people are always quite in a, a unique thing. And then, so, so then, the, you know, the, the really great question, which is related to the niche thing is somebody will say, yeah, but why would anybody pay me? Because there's all that stuff on YouTube. Oh, glad you asked. <laughs> because that's all about being very niche. So I'll say to them, well, just because you teach maybe a certain style of embroidery, or a certain way of doing pottery or something on those lines. You're not the only person in the world who does that. <clears throat> You're not the only person in the world who teaches it. But there's something unique about the way in which you are, about your style, about the way in which you maybe push things in a contemporary way or in way in which you're very, very traditional. Um, right. You know, there's there's... You know, are you quite a serious person? Are you quite a funny person? Are you, 
Um, do you want to push the boundaries? Do you want to be traditional? Do you want to have quirky kind of, you know, then there's all the images, isn't there? Some people focus on, say, wildlife or scenery or abstract or when you look at it like that, the, the possibilities are endless. It is infinite right. what we can right. what we can do. And so although you may originally think, oh, there's loads of people teach embroidery, yeah, but not everybody's looking for just embroidery either. They're looking for a specific style or a specific design or a specific approach or something very traditional or something very modern or you know off it goes and you can do that with every single topic so the same question used to be oh yeah but sue if you're going to create a podcast there's loads of podcasts on you know insert topic here and this was like years ago now how many podcasts have we got now well over a million you know when i started there was about three hundred thousand or something so it's the same thing. It's about being niche, like you are with yours, Jack, you know, very specific talking about kind of knowledge entrepreneurs. Right. So so it's the same question. And so I said, so I looked one day and thought, right, let's look at, I just picked an example of photography. Right, so I'm going to look at the uh, Apple Podcasts uh, charts on photography. So I... I rank on there on visual arts. So I used to think, well, let's have a look at visual arts. So visual arts, photography. If somebody said to me, Sue, I want to thinking about creating a photography podcast, then um, you'd look and you'd go, oh, my word. Look, out of 200 in the top 200, I counted them, 66% uh, were photography ones, something like that. Was it 30? It was a high percentage. It was all these photography ones. But when you looked, there was very few that were duplicates because right. got, what have you got in photography? You've got the business of being a photographer. You've got wedding photography, beachwear photography, babies, landscape, abstract, modern, people talking about the equipment, people talking about the business. Oh, whoosh, exactly the same. So any topic, you can go down and down and down and you will still find enough people in that niche that want you and the more you do that the more easier it is to stand out and the more attractive you are to those people because they'll go oh yeah sue knows about embroidery and textile art she knows about corsage she can teach the technology stuff ah right. sue's the perfect person to help me i'm not the perfect person to help lots of other people because they've right. been bored to death with the examples about embroidery and textile art I mean, I do have people who do like pottery um, and other hands-on things. Somebody's like a, a massage therapist, but they want to do like mindfulness and meditation. But it's still like an active thing, isn't it? You know, it's not right, talking through right. PowerPoint slides. So those are the kind of people that I tend to attract. As I say, in my kind of age group, mostly women who want, who are scared about the techie stuff as they all talk about it. Um uh, because then I meet their needs. Some younger person wouldn't want to learn from me because they'll probably think she's old and boring, you know? So it's just like you find your teacher and, and deep dive into your niche. So again, anybody listening to all this rambling here from this mad woman, it's like really have your confidence that you you are special, you are unique, you have unique things, and there will be people 
I found a course, you know, I always come back to, I, I, you know, you'll do the same. You're always looking to see, like, what's going on. And right. something, you know, ads pass you by, don't they? Or you'd see things, you think, oh, what's that? So I was on Facebook and I'd seen something. And somebody was selling a course on Vampirology 101. Vampirology. Who knew that was a thing? <laughs> Who knew it was a thing, right? So I, I don't to offend any vampirologists here, but this just made me laugh. But it's a very powerful uh, case study. So Vampirology 101 was selling for something like £120. So it's wow. not cheap. £120. And it was one of those like course platforms where you could see how many people had signed up for the, it was a bit like a Udemy kind of thing, you know, it was a right, course marketplace, right, right. especially this course marketplace where this thing was on. And let me just remember this. So it was 120 pounds and there was nearly a thousand people apparently had bought this course. So let's just do the maths there. How much had that person made? apparently, from their Vampirology 101. Can you get any more niche than that? Oh, no. Who'd have, who'd have thought it, you know? Is, yeah. is this thing even true? <laughs> what on earth would you do a course on? I don't know, but there was people who paying 120 quid for it, and there was a 1,000 of them. Woohoo! They've made £125,000. Well fact, done, them. <laughs> it, you know, in fact, it sounds like the more niche you are, the more... The more rare your topic is, you'd probably, you know, be that lonely person, you know, that uh, not a lot of competition for you then. So yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I used to, again, so the, the podcast examples are the same. You know, I found a, a podcast I used to quote as a, as a sample example of this on um, looking after chameleons. Really popular wow. podcast on looking after chameleons. Yes, chameleons, fascinating things. People want to look after them. And this is, again, this is years ago. There was a podcast on how to look after chameleons. So although we're talking here about online courses, the, the analogies about being unique apply yeah, from podcasting. Yeah. It's, it's identical. It's identical. Right. How do you find that tribe of people? How do you find your tribe? That's yeah. it. And, and it is definitely you know, being as specific as 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 you can be so don't ever think that you're too neat think about vampirology 101 and looking after chameleons yeah i think that should that's pretty much it uh people would have gotten <laughs> an idea by now so uh while you were talking about you know the kind of people that approach you uh to get help from you you said you know they might already be doing a physical service right and um, I, I just want to understand, are these people trying to create courses um, as a supplementary income for, uh, you know, in addition to the physical service are they giving? Or do these courses serve um, as a marketing tool uh, for the physical serv service that they're already doing? Or what other purposes does it serve? Right. Yeah, so... That that's that's a really good point because people often just think, oh well, I'll create a course because I want to teach things. But a course can be a really valuable way of freeing up your time on repetitive stuff, 
you know, there's sort of like, you know, onboarding or there might be certain things in a service that you just think, oh, I've got another one of those to do, isn't it? I wish I could clone myself. If you hear yourself saying that, that's when a course is needed to do that. So you can use a course to free up your time from the kind of mundane, repetitive stuff to then free up yourself for the stuff that you're actually unique and talented and, you know, get more money from as a service. The uh, Again, the typical the people typically who come to me are very much the arty, crafty, you know, um, folks, a few couple of therapists and things. But so what they're trying to do is balance out their income to have a more resilient business model. And so they're not reliant on purely in-person things like so many were. And it's quite interesting because, you know, the, the, the main impact of the pandemic is now three years ago. And although it was a horrible time for lots of people, memories seem to be fading in that people thinking, oh, I won't bother. Now, I was going to do an online course, but do you know what? I won't bother. I'm quite happy doing my in-person classes back again. And I'm there going, oh, you're going back around in the same circle. You, you, you know, it is it is so important that we don't rely on one source of income, one client, one thing. So the people who come to me are usually already teaching that thing in person and of course we're talking about uh mostly people would have to go and hire a venue um to do that so they have to travel and we're talking about arts and crafts and things so they've got boxes of stuff to take with them so they have to go in the car price of fuel's gone shooting up the price of heating these venues has shot up you know we've really suffered this last winter with fuel prices and it's obviously colder in the uk um so the carrying boxes around and it you know there's a whole load of hassle involved in creating an in-person class and so as much as people enjoy it and oh yeah i enjoy doing the in-person classes and it's nice yes it is but you can look at it in that why not make that the the special treat, the kind of VIP experience, the thing that you're not spending every damn weekend doing, which is, you know, you run out of weekends and most people want to learn a, a hobby, a creative thing at the weekend because they're right. working in the week. So, you know, that's where I'm really trying to help and support people and to say to them, you have, because you're already teaching this thing, Thing. you've probably been teaching this thing for many years bearing in mind the age profile of my kind of followers most of them have been teaching this thing for a long time right and so they already know they have got a massive advantage over people who think hmm, do you know i think i'll create an online course but i don't really know what the topic is which is what the big gurus right. that, that's their marketing angle isn't it hey I can teach you how to create a course. It doesn't matter if you don't have a clue what you're doing. It doesn't matter if you don't have a topic. We'll mash that out. And so half the course is spent in like doing what's taken me 30 odd years of like, well, where's my icky guy? What am I, where's my niece? Where's me? How can all these things fit together? Right, right. And so people spend a lot of time in these course creation courses 
doing all of that kind of thing. And then the actual creating videos and filming your hands and putting them on a course platform or where can you put them? Just like, let's just sweep that under the carpet, you know? And then people are like, oh, oh, how do I do this? I've got my idea now, but I don't know what to do. So again, from my point of view, to stand out and be different, you're like, why would somebody come to me when they could go to one of these big gurus? Well, because you're going to get me. You don't get fobbed off with associate coaches and that kind of thing. You'll get me and you'll get a small environment and a lot of personal attention. Right. So so anybody who's currently cre- running in-person classes, I really do encourage you to understand that you have a massive advantage because you know what sells, because it's selling. It's been sustaining you over these years. You know where people get stuck. You know what people want to learn next. Um, you know what people say, oh, do you know, I'd really fancy, how can you do this thing or that thing? You've got all of that. Don't underestimate the power of that. So therefore, to create a version, what do you need to do? You need to learn the techie stuff. Right. So, you know, and, and I haven't come across anybody talking about it in those terms. Everyone's like, oh, well, this is how you create a course and you do these things and you need to do a pilot launch, you need to test the market. No, you've tested the market over the last however many years you've been running this class. You know, people want to buy. Oh, it's full now. Oh, there's another side. Oh, my courses fill up really quickly. Yippee. Let's get a version online done. So, yeah, I forgot what the question was. I was rambling on. Oh, yeah, you was asking about, you know, is it part of the business? So I'm really trying to uh, encourage people that this is part of their creative business and it's it's going to complement what they're already doing, give them more financial resilience, Give them, you know, just, yeah, resilience. And also, again, as people are getting older, people have got health issues and they can't physically lift all the boxes with all the, lift all the boxes with all the stuff. Or, you know, if you're teaching people with sewing machines, they're quite heavy as well. So it's really trying to help people to add extra resilience and control right. into, their, into their business. But, yeah. I mean, it still works if somebody hasn't got an idea of what, well, everyone always has an idea. Um, and they may not have been teaching it before, but then, you know, we go through the other processes. So there's kind of two processes at play. And I'm just on the cusp of moving really deep diving into the helping people who've got an in-person class because it cuts got, out cuts yeah. out a lot of that other stuff that the big guru people have cornered the marketing. I don't need to compete against them. It's a waste of time. <laughs> Got it. Got it, Sue. So, uh, and in the, you know, when we spoke about what some of the things that we can discuss, you had mentioned in the document that you had shared, very interesting, uh, finding opportunities through relationships. Uh, is this, do you also mean collaborations by this? Um, not particularly collaborations, but when I thought about things that have been of, of major impact in my life and career, it all boils down to a chance comment with somebody in a conversation with somebody. There was, a, you know, it was a personal connection. So, for example, going, you know, right back to right back to day dot when I got involved with um with the um uh, this this code that wrote code thing 
the, you know, that was a specialist role that they were thinking, well, who the hell can do this? And the the guy who was the what was called the database administrator, so he was the god of the database, right, and quite a very direct, quite grumpy person, just turned around and said, because it all revolved around him, he said, well, the only person I'm going to work with is Sue. And they're all going, you know, because like, you know, I wasn't very popular because I was quite outspoken, right? Right. Right. And so it's like, so I finished up doing that, okay, because he wanted me to work with him on it. The apprentice thing that started, that like giving it to two of the kind of, you know, younger golden boys at the time, oh, you know, yeah, they, they can do that, without actually thinking that these guys had no idea how to teach anybody anything. And it was only afterwards when somebody said, um, why aren't Sue doing it? Because she's like the only person in the department who has actually even studied this topic. She's already the expert because she's been doing this thing and she's got a training qualification. Ah, right, yeah. Mm. So so that was begrudging, um, you know, opportunities. But even getting uh, head-hunted to the, this new company was somebody somewhere, one of our friends, and um, said, oh, yeah, I've heard about this company over in Liverpool, you know, they want to talk to people, do you want to come out and have a, come have a drink, you know, go and have a beer and a chat? And I, Aye, all right. And a group of 15 of us, friends, we all left, we're all headhunted together, left Nissan and went to see to the new office. Um, right. The training course thing, you know, oh, Sue, somebody said that you've, uh, you were training some folks at Nissan. Have you got your course? Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, I've got a copy of it. Right that's it we we need to expand quickly we need to come on you, we, you're gonna have to start you can train all these people who are experienced developers but don't know this language oh okay yeah you know and so it went on the morgan stanley thing that was again somebody else oh yeah so we we want to do that we knew that they were lacking a trainer so somebody says oh, i'll tell you what look you know whack whack up we'll send sue down okay and off it went the opportunity with freelance university exactly the same you know i was I put my hand up and said, look, I'll help you with podcasting. I'd, I'd already been a very active member of the community. So when they expanded and wanted some more business mentors um, or wanted to form a team of business mentors, and the the guy realized that he couldn't create all of these courses all on his own, then, you know, it was like, oh, so we, we need to come along. I'm currently supporting the Embroiderers Guild over here in the UK. You know, I've been a member of the Embroider School for a long time. And <clears throat> through the podcast and me talking about my course creation experience, they had a load of courses that were implemented by somebody who didn't actually really know anything about online courses. And, and there was a whole load of problems. And then eventually they were taken down. And so they wanted to bring this back up again. So, you know, last year. So when you come and talk to us about online courses from a not from a volunteer point of view, from a, you know, paid service kind of thing. Right, so right. I've been steering, steering that through my podcast. You know, I've been asked to do all sorts of things. Um, I also now, so this is hilarious, right? So again, I'm very much an introvert in the fact that really, I, I, you know, after this, I'll have to go and sit in a corner for like hours to recover. So I'm a social introvert, right? But um, through doing my podcast, the Embroiders Guild have asked me to host live streams where I'm interviewing two artists with things. So I'm now like this kind of like a TV host almost, you know, so I'm, I'm acting for them as the face on the screen. Um, right. 
this evening I'm hosting an event for them with their course participants. So I'm running like a social event for the people who are studying their, you know, working through their courses to add that personal dimension. So, you know, it's it's really, really funny that from this like really, really techie background, here I am hosting events for Embroiderers Guild, Changri people. But yeah, that's what I mean about relationships. It's it's been very much people have asked me to do things because they've seen me participate in something. They've heard me talking about what I was doing for a long time. I was like the world's best kept secret. I used to hide behind my screen and, you know, didn't really put my head above the parapet or anything. Right. And I just a number of years ago, I thought this has got to stop. You know, you have to be visible. You have to do videos. You have to show your face. You have to have photos of yourself. And, you know, and I made a big conscious I'm going to do that. There's no reason to hide. Um, so that's really what I meant about personal connections is when I've sat and thought about all this mad journey to that, them three circles of that Venn diagram. Yeah. The major stepping stones have been, I've been asked to do something. People have come to me and found me. As I say, that, that turning point of, hey, hey, Sue, do you know anybody who could help us create an online course? Whoa. <laughs> right. Yeah, so that that's really what I meant. Collaborations in terms of kind of the stuff that goes on. I haven't really done anything. Uh, I haven't really done any of that sort of thing, if that makes sense. Right. <laughs> yeah. So you've been creating courses or creating content from a long time now, right? Uh, has Have things changed uh, or how have things evolved as, you know, when it comes to creating courses? as it was, you know, at least 15 years back to now? <laughs> right. So obviously the first courses I created were all very much written. They came in a big binder, um, you know, and it was about this thick because it was full of, there was a lot of stuff to learn. And right. at the time I was really into, it was a thing then called um, uh, action-centred learning. It was, a you know, action-learning. So there was a lot in there about how to make these things interesting, get people moving and doing things and putting practical exercises in. Because before that, you know, these things were damn dull. And we didn't have the technology to make them interesting either. You know, the technology was slides on the projector on the wall behind you and let's do a quick demo. You know, I was doing really well if I could connect one of them projectors through to the mainframe computer terminals do some quick demos so it was it you know it was quite challenging to make some of these what were in them really damn boring topics kind of interesting and, and lively so but it was the same old thing of get people doing things you know you don't want to be just droning on in front of slides and go and try well we don't know how to do these things well you will when you start trying you know just just trust me start doing this thing you'll start to learn and so I'm very much of the opinion of this, like guide people through the steps. So without them really even noticing that they're doing the steps and then I'll go, right, look, you can do all of these things now. Woohoo! Well done. You didn't realize. Um, now, of course, we've got every possible gadget and widget and thing <laughs> to right. try and make all this as interesting as possible. Yeah. And we shouldn't forget that the person who's really, really important is the learner 
you know, what is the student experience? And with all of these toys, are they a distraction? Are they actually helping the learner to learn? Some things, yes. Some things, possibly no, you know. Um, so that's, so in terms of training development and content, I think the trend is a good one is to keep things short, micro learning, you know, people will throw right. that around. And again, think of those, this, this action centered learning. So there was a book that I really used to like, and it's called, let me just, uh, I'll, I'll get the title slightly wrong. I'm just trying to peer around my, my computer onto my bookshelf, but it's something like how, how to give it so they get it. And it's by a lady called Sharon. Uh, I forgot. I'll give you the link. Um, and and it's it's only a thin, you know, it's a traditional thin book. And this this woman has written a lot of books about developing interesting training and so on. And uh, and this follows basically the the example of learning how to fly. You need a flight plan. You, you know all the you have to, all, all the things. It's a really good book. And and she's also got another one that I have on there, which is something like so many tips to to make something interesting. I've totally forgotten the title, but things that work really well in person that you can adapt to, right. to online. So it online. still needs to be, it still needs to be small, specific. You know, as I always say to people, one video, one thing. Make it a couple of minutes, 10 right. minutes at most, so that people can think, oh, do you know what? I've got half an hour before I have to go and get the kids or do whatever. Do you know what? I'm going to pop into that course I'm working on and I'm going to do, I'll watch a video and I'll do the exercise. So I always try and have, you know, an, an exercise, worksheets, things for people to think, you know. I'm very much a person, although I do everything online, I write notes with an actual old-fashioned pen and actual old-fashioned paper and there's something about this. It's been proven. There's a different process goes on in your brain when you physically write as, as opposed to typing. It's quite yeah. fascinating, but it's, it's different. Um, and so I cannot write notes on the screen. And, you, you know, I sent you just a basic text file. So if I want to do brainstorming, I'll just create a basic .txt file because then you're not worrying about the formatting or anything else. All you, all you can do is type some words on. Um, but I am yeah. an absolute note-taking Scribble. scribbler. Yeah. yeah. But I think that it, it does help us learn. It's another, you're engaging another sense. You, you know, people are moving the thinking, the writing, and as more senses you can bring into what you're doing, people will learn more. And that's even if it's just like a note, you know, so I'll, if I have a section of something, it might be an eight or nine minute video, we might have explained two concepts or something. Right. Okay. Here's and, and I just a lot of my stuff tends to be questions. Right, I want you to think about these things. Is it this? What about so and so? Have you thought about this? Does this, 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 and this, which is appropriate to you? Go away and think about it. Because most times people go blundering into course creation because it's like, oh, it's actually easy, isn't it? Yeah, just like podcasting is easy on one level. But to get something that works that helps transform people from where they started to where they want to go, it, you know, it needs quite a lot of thought. And again, it's how does it work for you as the, as the business owner and how does right. it work for the students? 
So I think this trend of micro learning is a good one. Um, and let's be honest, as our cameras get higher and higher definition and as video records in higher and higher definition, videos just get bigger and bigger and bigger. So if you can be very, uh, very controlled about one video, one thing, 10 minutes, it's a much better learning experience and it's a lot easier for you because you're not then trying to, you know, the hardest thing our computers can do is render videos. I've got a yeah. fast, I've got a you know, old fashioned, I've got a fast desktop, massive desktop computer down here, which was a, a machine I had built. It's actually a gaming spec machine. So it's got good video cards in, it's fast, et cetera, et cetera. Because I know the thing that takes the time is video rendering. You know, right. so if you keep it good for the students, it's good for you as well, because you're not like three hours later waiting for something to render, you know. So that's, I think, a, a trend. Um, there's lots of things we can do, you know, and there's like you know, gamification. And again, for some audiences, that's not really for my load of midlife ladies is gamification. Do they just give a damn? Oh, because they're not rushing to do something. They're, they're, yeah. they're learning something that they want to, you know, they want to help people learn something which is actually quite mindful and creative and can be very slow as embroidery too. So, you know, they kind of like, you know, gamification for my audience is absolutely no use at all. For a different audience, it can make the difference between, you know, uh, people really enjoying the course so it, 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 it it's back down to your niche who's your audience what are they trying to learn and how can you serve them uh, with a good student experience so does it did that answer anything about trends i think it might have done it did it did uh i think uh, i asked you you know how has it changed and yeah. uh yeah, from a technological point of view, it's changed a lot. And, you know, I think now it's all about being bite-sized, little. Absolutely, bite-sized. The social media is designed in a way, you know, you get 30-second reels and, you know, you don't have patience to watch something more than 30 seconds, 15 seconds. So, yeah, um, that's... Yeah, that, right. that's, been a big, that has been a big change, actually, the, the, the attention span of people. But, um, yeah, yeah, but I think... But I think regardless of all of that yeah keep it small but it's it's always been good practice to keep things modular and you know yeah. kind of small and although there was that thing of like well a, a school lessons an hour so yeah let's just keep it going for an hour you know university lectures oh my word you know let's just fill an hour with somebody scrolling on a chalkboard you'd learn nothing so you know so i think there's a better understanding of how people learn and the technology can support that and provide variety. But let's not forget that the basic tenets of teaching somebody something, that hasn't changed. We've just got better, got better at it, really. And then, of course, there's all this, you know, AI stuff getting thrown into the mix, which, frankly, at the moment, I think people are going to get their fingers burnt because you cannot replace somebody's personality and somebody's experience and somebody's knowledge with something that a a machine because I'm a coder <laughs> something that a machine is like cobbled together from what's already there so you know that's it's like the wild west again isn't it with all of that I had a I had a chat with another 
trainer from the US and we were talking about uh, AI and um, I, I I think AI right uh, in a way is bringing back the exact value of humans for what they are because mm. uh, if you look at it like that way right because yes AI is going to do all the grunt work good for us but can it replace us no and that's where our value comes back up there again because i've already seen videos on my instagram timeline where people have tried to replicate human beings talking uh like real human beings using ai and it's no it's boring and that's when you want to go back to see real people so i hope ai is going to push people to people again and use ai the way it is supposed to be used exactly uh, and then if you think about you know again back to my niche what are people teaching them how to physically make something with yeah. your hands with material with fabric with art with something can, can, a finished product an image of a finished finished product could be produced but you'll you'll can tell you can tell that it's not yeah. You know, and, and so again, for my kind of niche, I'm not that too worried about it yeah. because it's a different thing. It's not like people creating a course about creating a course to help people create a course. Yes, I do that, but it's based in a different niche with different examples that AI really wouldn't be able to come up with. Because it doesn't sit there with fabric and thread because it's not a real person. So, but again, you can, you know, there's all these things, isn't there, out there now of like, oh, you know, just knock up a course, just put a few keywords in and we'll knock up a course outline. Where's the value in that? Where's the value in that? It's not yeah. bringing out our, as you say, us as people with our skills and ability and just like a few years ago, it was like, hey, we can create an ebook just by getting all your blog posts together and sending it off to a VA and just let them cobble it together and voila, an ebook. You can tell when you're reading a quite a low quality ebook, you know exactly how it was made. Yeah. Because really, it's pretty rubbish. And so, do you then want to go and buy the thing that ebook was going to sell from that person? No, because it was a rubbish thing. Yeah. If, they'd have, if they'd have sat down and actually properly written a book, yes, because I can see their experience. So this is this is like you know, crappy ebooks on steroids, isn't it? In a lot of respects, you know, it's going to be crappy, sorry, crappy courses where it's just an amalgam of everything else that exists already. Yeah. The exact opposite of what we were talking about before about a niche and people. So yeah, people you can you, people are very very important in all of this. When we're teaching somebody, it's not just a crank out something as fast as you can with AI and whoopee look you know yeah they're going to have a very short shelf life for those sorts of things. That's my old fashioned. Approach to that. I love the technology. Don't get me wrong. Yeah, I have to yeah. stop myself from going down that rabbit hole of like, how, how does this work? Because that's what I, you know, again, something similar a long time ago. For me, it's fascinating. But is it? Right. But me delving down into the nuts and bolts of it is not serving my 
audience of midlife ladies who want to know how they can teach people how to do the thing that they're really good at. So, yeah, I'm really resisting getting too dragged into the <laughs> nuts and bolts of it because I just find it fascinating. <laughs> Got it. So you also, you also, you know, added this topic as part of the, you know, things that we could talk about. You said, you know, don't build your business on something that you don't have much control. Or what did you mean by that? Can you elaborate a little bit on that? Right. So this might make me sound a bit stroppy. Do you know what stroppy is? <laughs> a bit like bossy. <laughs> so what I see people struggling with, and again, it's that same kind of audience of, so, you know, again, anyone listening, think about I'm, I'm talking about the audience who I serve. So midlife ladies who are right. not very confident with technology there. It's like, oh, we didn't do it at school. Well, I never really, I was the only girl who did the very basic stuff when it first came out. So they haven't got the confidence and mm. they haven't got the the kind of background. So they, for them, it's just a big hurdle. Oh God, the techie stuff. I can't do that. Um, so. What, 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 what you can, what I can see is all the free stuff that out there, are the stuff that, yeah, you, you, the, the keeping control bit comes when people haven't understood the important strategic reason why that platform is as it is. I think right. I've lost you. Oh, you, you froze then. You, yeah, we're back. Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah. So yeah. So I see. With um, people who, it's not their thing, it's not their forte. And so then off they go, trying to cobble together, they'll go and have a look on YouTube for all these free things. And YouTube's really great for maybe, if you're very specific about something that you want to learn, and you, you, know, you type in right. a very specific thing. So I right. do it a lot, you know, how does this thing, is working this, this thing, right? Get an answer back. If you're trying to understand a process, YouTube's no use whatsoever for that because you're not being given the stuff in the right order, in the right process. YouTube's a video right. marketing platform. Um, and, and, and so people then stumble into using a piece of software that somebody they've seen online is using, but they don't understand what the decision point behind that was. Or, you know, a lot of things, um, you know, you'll find that, uh, video hosting may or may not be included again as long as you know then that's fine but a lot of people will go into something with not without realizing that maybe it wasn't included right. or it's a right. higher price because it is included and you know and so I, I I see people struggle a lot with trying to get some technology working when they don't understand basically how it's supposed to work and got it. It, again, if you're on with the free things, you've got no support. You've got no guarantee of is this thing true? Is it up to date? Can the person even actually teach that that topic? So there's a, a whole issue of not having control and not understanding the you know what you what you're trying to do. And then, therefore, it takes so much longer with a massive amount of struggle right. when really finding the right, back to the right teacher, the right teacher with the right thing cuts out all of that learning curve. You learn the things that you actually need to do to focus on actually getting your course out there. 
Um, so that's part of, you know, one of the things that I just, and, and, and do you know, it makes me really sad, Jag, when people say to me, oh, I'm just trying to get this bit sorted out. And it's like five months later, well, how are you getting on? Ah, oh, well, you know, and that is, it's people who I follow or, you know, see, so they're not part of my, my course or anything, but they, they thought they'll just go and, you know, wing it themselves and dig in and give it a try. And months and months and months have passed by. They're really frustrated. They've wasted so much time, and time is our most valuable, most valuable thing. So, yeah, I've got quite a thing about, I just, it makes me sad. It makes me sad to see people wasting so much brain power and effort on something that they're never going to get right because it's not their thing. Right, right. Does that, does that, make, does that make sense? Yeah, 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 yeah it yeah. does. For example, you know, the way I'd interpret is, you know, if they, they, they might be a, a YouTube, they might be a Facebook, they might be an Instagram, Pinterest, so on and so forth, but you've got to know what to use for what. Uh, for example, uh, Instagram is a very visual medium and Twitter is a very um, text-based medium and, uh, you know, to the point sort of a medium. And I see that some people post videos on Twitter and text on Instagram and, you know, but the audience are there for different reasons, right? So, yeah. and this applies to all of the things, which leads me to my next question, right? One of the most important things, important topics when it comes to course creators is the hundreds of platforms that are out there. Uh, that help you host it and then, you know, give you a certain structure. You don't have to build a website at all. You know, you just have to go upload no. your course and everything's taken care of. So yeah. how do you go about choosing it? And in your view, what are the true, truly important components that make a good platform for course sellers? So the, the two two important components from my point of view are... Sorry, course creators, I'm so sorry. Yeah, for course creators. So, so the, the two important elements are ease of use right right and secondly what student experience does it give so for most people the worst choice is to start trying to build something on the wordpress website i i run wordpress websites i've been using them for years i know how they work a lot of people have got a wordpress website that they've cobbled together or somebody did for them and didn't hand it over very well. And guess what? They never update it. They don't update the plugins and so nothing works because it's not their thing. Because they'd rather sit in a corner and do their art and their embroidery. And the number, if I had a pound for every person who's come to me with like, oh, my website's broke or this has happened and that's happened, bearing in mind, I don't offer website services, and right. I never have, but I have dug people out of a massive hole as a favour loads of times. So I do say to people, unless you know exactly how to look after your WordPress website, then you're going to have to start installing yet more plugins. And right. anybody who's done lots of things with WordPress, they all start to work against each other and the their website gets slower and worse. It's a security hazard. So what's their options? Their options are pay somebody to look after it for them, which they quite often can't afford. It's another thing to do then because, you know, keeping people busy with work is a skill in its own, right? Particularly 
if you don't know how this thing works, how the hell can you ask somebody to do something? So you've got no control. Right. It's back to the control. If you don't know how that thing should work, you right. are at the 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 whim, at the liberty of somebody else. And that doesn't always work out as a very good relationship. Again, I've seen this because I've been here so long. I've seen all of this. So I do say to people, please, if you have a WordPress website, yes, it's an option. Yes, you could put uh, your plugins and some good plugins. But if you don't have those skills, you're going to have to pay somebody to do it. So it's not going to be cheaper. And you have to pay for the plugins. You might as well go with a course platform because all you have to learn is how to use it, how to build that sales page. And they're all drag and drop how to create your course and everything's included your billing and, and all these you know the platforms they've got a lot of people who are who are keeping it safe and secure who are updating it who are moving it on who have got the fraud stuff going on in the background who are you know they've got your back right, why wouldn't right. why wouldn't you so my you know so the two things to look for is ease of use for you as the course creator and the student experience so for me, the worst thing is when people, and again, it may, may sound a bit kind of bossy, but unlisted YouTube videos really irritate me because I think if somebody's paying you for your course, then, again, you've got no control because you've got no control what they see next. Right, right. So, yes, you can start with all of these things. There's usually a free element and you can start to get going. Right. But I think ultimately a course hosting platform is is just so much easier. Why would you just make things more difficult for yourself? So but so I was speaking to somebody yesterday and they were telling me what they're doing. I said, right. So from the student's point of view, how's this going to work and look? I said, so at the moment you're telling me that, you know, they've got like an, an, an hour's video to go through. I said, but really, you've got like six sections in there. They want to be split it into six, put it in a hosting platform rather than, well, then, so they wanted to do a big, long video because they were trying to put it through the WooCommerce shop. I said, that's a shop that's there for selling physical objects right, or right. maybe a one-off download. But this really is a course, so you can't cram your course into a one-off download to shoehorn it into selling it through WooCommerce. I said, from the student's point of view, that is not going to be a good experience. And a lot of these kind of app things, you know, they might, they're fairly short. And so what they want to do is sell a number of them, don't they? They want to sell the beginners and then the next design. And, you know, and so if you don't give a good student experience, they're not going to come back for the rest of your app portfolio. Again, bearing in mind my audience, they want more people to come back. They're not just selling one big course. Um, so that was an example there, you know, where trying to shoehorn it into WooCommerce because that's what you've got on your website is not serving your students. And right. so therefore, you've, you've again, you've got, it's just not a good solution. There are solutions out there that you don't need to shoehorn from somewhere else. So that's kind of where I usually look at this, but they're the, the, the two things. You're going to have to learn how something works. Yeah. You might as well learn how the easiest thing works and then pick, oh, yeah, but I've got to pay for it. But if you're hosting, if you're providing 
in-person classes, in most cases, you have to pay for a venue. You're paying right. to hire a paying to hire a hall, or even if it's your own studio, you've spent a fortune building that studio, and and then you have to heat it, and then you've got special insurance for people who you know physically on your premises, and woof, it's not free, you know. So there is a cost in 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 all of this. So from my point of view, make it easier for yourself. Go with a cost hosting platform and make it a good student experience. And yes, that still leaves a lot. But then there's a you know a price range within there. Can you start yeah. for free? Do you have a basic? You know, do you need all the bells and whistles? Some of the kind of course gurus just then start to promote something that actually they are a, a, a good affiliate for, and finish up sending people off to something that's going to cost them a couple of hundred pounds a month and is quite complicated and still needs somebody else to help them with. You'll probably know the sorts of things I'm talking about. I shan't mention yeah. them, but you'll know who I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. you know, it's it's once you've got that decision. So I have a whole module in my course where I talk about all of these things. You've got four options. You've got basic where you can send emails with a, a YouTube link in. That's great to get going, get someone in your world. You've got your website. It might be a Wix website or a Weebly website right. or, a, or a WordPress website. Right. You've got course marketplaces like Udemy and Skillshare and things. And then right. you've got course hosting platforms. And people say to me, well, you know, how can I compare Udemy versus Thinkific? Well, you can't because the, here's an apple and here's an orange. Yeah. <laughs> don't, don't get, you know, so I spend quite a lot of time talking about those sorts of things. Because right. they're the things where people can make a big mistake, can waste money, and waste a really huge amount of time. I mean, again, in a lot of other courses, that's just like, well, we we're not interested in that. We've got your course topic, off you go, kind of thing. So, yeah, it's, it's, and the losing control thing is thinking about, oh, well, I'll, I'll have, you know, um, using something like YouTube or Facebook or wherever, You've got zero control over those things. Even somewhere like Udemy, you've got no control. You've got no control of yeah. the pricing for a yeah. startup. Um, so there all those things are all right as long as you understand that it could go away in an instant, or it, it, you know it's not it's part of a, a kind of an ecosystem that you're building. And as long as you're aware of that and aware where you're giving away control. So if you've got to be reliant on hiring, you know, a freelancer, a virtual assistant to do things for you all the time, where's your level of control? None. You're at the whim of that person. And if the relationship doesn't go well, uh, and I've seen it lots of times from both yeah. sides of the equation, it, again, it's just hard work. You know, so I right. always say, cost creation made faster and easier. Cut through your learning curve follow a plan that works, build your course and make money sooner. That's the whole point of what we want to do. You know, if we don't want to make money out of our courses, why are we bothering? You know, let's be, let's be blunt here. <laughs> we want to make something that can add to our business. So Coming to the last part uh, that you said, making money, right? That's the, that's the main thing. I mean, after all these things. And there are so many theories out there, you know, sell first, build later, and, you know, validate, uh, for which you said, you know, if you're already offering in-person classes, you don't have to because you've been validating for so many years. So do you also help people with launching and selling and pricing and all that? Uh, so? I mean, pricing, for example, it is a minefield, all right? And 
Yeah. You know, I mean, if for mine, I started off my, you know, when I thought, oh, yeah, actually, I can do something to help these people who want to create a course. So I did the classic, I'm going to say, I'm doing this course. I offered it. I said, I want 10 people, 10 people for £197. This is what you're going to get. It's the, it's the like, you know, I'm going to see if this gonna, is going to fly. Okay, so I got, I think I got nine and just thought, oh, that'll do. You know, I got nine people, so 200 quid. And then I, like, built it, did it every week. Now, a lot of artists are very, oh, no, I can't, I can't sell then build because what if I don't get the thing done so it is a good point so if you're doing like a talking thing where you're doing powerpoint you know like my course creation thing is like you know powerpoints and examples and screen demos and that kind of thing but because I've created absolutely loads of these I'm fast I know what I'm doing there's no double takes you know I I think right I'm gonna do this thing off I go I might have a couple of stumbles and take the end and start off and I'm done in terms of editing. Uh, I was speaking to a lady yesterday. She did a, like a 10-second reel about 35 times. She was like, you don't need to do it 35 times. So, but when your thing that you're teaching somebody on is an, an, an art, so something, say if it was pottery, you know, you have to do it. You, you don't like have module one, right, start getting your wheel out and get your clay on. Right, now I've got to wait for a week now. So like, oh, now what do I do? Your clay's dry, do you know what I mean? It's, it's like if you're cooking a recipe, you, do, you have to teach people on in one go. So there's those kind of things. And also, if you're creating samples of some hand embroidery thing, hand embroidery can take a long time. And right. learning how to being able to film your hands doing it is a learning curve as well. And mm. so, so that sell then build is a bit scary for someone creating a creative you know thing where they're in between time and making physically making samples that themselves can take a long time um so again it's understanding what your options are so that so i did it that classic classic way then the the next time it's like right okay this is 400 pounds no 500 pounds now you're gonna get i'm gonna run you know weekly Q&A, live coaching things, you'll get this thing, that thing, blah, blah, blah. Um, and, and then the, my next iteration is now, right, it's going to be, um, because now I have extra courses on Teachable, because that, oh, that's the one I, I picked years ago, Canva, all the things you can do in Canva. There's, you know, So I've got all these extra courses of the things that people need those skills, video editing skills and how to right. record their hands. I've got all that in there. So now it's going to be right. It's going to be eight times 100. You know, in a couple of months' time, when I've added these other things in, it's going to be more expensive. So that's a classic progression of, you know, try it out, sell it first, and then build it. But the sell, then build doesn't always work, particularly with the creative people. And that took me a while to think, oh, hang on a minute, that isn't going to work, depending on how, how they structure it. They don't want to drip it out every week because as I say you can't oh my clear's gone solid now <laughs> I've got to start again um surprising so and and I think really it's down to confidence you know and just start with something where you feel happy with that price if you inside think oh that feels a bit expensive you aren't gonna sell that cost you aren't gonna talk about it you you know how much is that cost because you'll just it's a mindset thing is is a lot to do with pricing and there's no there's no course pricing police out there there's no right answer there's no wrong answer some people do 
you know, small prices and go for volume. Others have a high price and don't need to bother with so many. It's just, you know, do you want, I'm starting to try and add a few, some things that I can think, I can break that out and do it as a £27 webinar. So I'm starting to to build my course business with different priced offerings. You know, it's all an evolution, isn't it, really? So, so that's what I would say about pricing. I mean, I did... I've got quite a lot of videos on my website, on my learning centre, I call it, where I've done like Instagram lives and then I repurpose them, put them on YouTube and stuff. Um, so that, you know, there's there's one there about pricing. So what makes you feel happy and confident that you can start selling it and start? You can always put the price up. You could always offer a discount. I, I'm not really into discounts and things because then it makes people just think, oh, I'll just wait. I'll just wait and see when the next, you know, because you're training people, aren't you, then, that you'll discount things. So I'm not a real fan of that. Um, launch again. So there's that classic sell, then build. Um, yeah. That doesn't always work for everybody. Um, if if you feel that you can't, you know, some people have got a lot of, like, caring responsibilities or they've got health issues they need to manage or to manage their energy or a whole load of things that doesn't fit in that rigid course guru way of this is how it has to be. It doesn't have to be that way. If if because you, you know, you might have health issues or caring responsibilities, you know you've only got two hours a week, then organize that two hours of a week to really make it count. So you're not going to be able to churn out a course quickly. Right. That's just not going to happen. But it will happen if you constantly, every week, spend those two hours in creating your content and just be focused on, you know, doing that. I mean, I've got quite a, you know, a few people at the moment who, for one reason or another, just like they're just ground to a halt. You know, like a year later, they haven't they've started. Maybe somebody got stuck on video editing, and somebody else has got a corporate job, and it, it, you know, so it, it's. There's all very valid reasons why people have kind of ground to a halt, but I'm like, right, okay, come on, right, next week I'm going to do a, a, a Zoom coaching. Come along, don't hide, don't be ashamed, just come and say, look, I've had these things to do, we've got life gets in the way, let's just, never mind, what's your next step? Will you take one little step? Will you spend 10 minutes, you know? So, so again, there isn't that rule Yes, there are strategies that can help, but if that feels uncomfortable or overwhelming, then don't follow it. Take some of the advice and 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 you know and, and change it to what will work. And and so again, with you know, that's what I will say to people all the time. Well, these are some kind of classic ways of doing it. However, do what works for you. What's going to feel right, right for you and your audience. Um, so yeah, there's, there's, there's so many things that you can do, but it needs to fit in with you, your skills, your time availability, whatever else is going on and how ultimately you'll serve your, your, um, your students. For example, if you want to put in something where every week somebody, you know, people turn up to a Q&A or a social or a kind of show and tell, look, I've made this thing and this wasn't very good. How would I improve that? Great. 
if you know you're going to be, you know, some of the artists will work with some of the couture houses, you know, with some certain styles of embroidery or the work on film costumes. You know, I know people who work on a lot of film, you know, costumes and so on. They tend to be very short notice, very time intensive things. So if you if that's part of your work where you're going to be right, drop everything. I'm off to this film set now. I'm going to sit in a you know studio and sew some lovely costumes. Then don't build a course that needs you to be there every week on Zoom chatting with people because you'll just drive yourself crazy. So right, organize right. things in the way that is suitable for you for your life and what's going to give a good student experience. And and then you can price that accordingly because the more input that you into it then the higher the price because the value is so much more because it's back to that relationship thing you know if you're talking to people and giving them advice all the time that is worth gold to them to help them get to where they want to be so there we Go are the, an- the anti-guru approach <laughs> to cost launching pricing and and the final topic uh, would be Social media posting is so important to market yourself, right? What's the kind of routine or strategy that you personally follow? What's worked for you? Ah, right. <laughs> hmm. Well, at the moment, I would say I am mostly focused on Instagram. And I've got two channels on there. So there's one specifically for the podcast where podcast. I focus on the, the new artist. And then I do like a couple of different styles of reels um a carousel just a post sometimes a quote you know and 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 do do that um and really that's people found me through through that my other channel has got a lot less followers um but i hope i think that's how you found me it's like very focused on online course creation so i i try to really keep that really focused and I made a decision to also make it quite visually bright. <laughs> so it's like purple and orange. So I've picked the purple and orange. I like those colours. And they're quite, you know, they're quite vivid. I'm quite a colourful person. My podcast is green and pink, right? So there's a theme here, isn't there? It's part of yeah. me. I like bright, I like bright colours. But I'm appealing to visual people who also typically like bright colours. So right. I, and certainly with my Instagram, I, I've made a rod for my own back because I've like got a, got a pattern going that I like and, and simply think, oh yeah, you're not still doing that kind of pattern thing. Yeah, because I like it. I, I just find it easier way to think, all right, I'm doing an orange one today, right? And and so I just, so it makes scheduling a bit of a nightmare. In fact, I don't, right? That's my, that's my, dare I admit, <laughs> I don't schedule anything i kind of know what i'm gonna do but i do tend to create on the fly yes i could get better but to to schedule more then i would have to kind of stop with the pattern thing but i like the patterns (laughs) (laughs) yeah you're not you're not getting the guru side of things here so yeah i'm a bit adopted to my pattern but um i think the really important thing is is to show yourself and show your face and be you and again, so many of my audience are like, well, you know, nobody wants to see me. I just share my art. And I said, yeah, but art is a very personal thing. Yeah. It's around emotions. And if you want people to buy your art, 
against all of the artists out there, you, again, it's the people who make that personal, back to personal connections again, you make that personal connection. So people want to know about the artist. People are interested about your stuff that's going on in the background. They are interested in that. Right. And that can be the biggest hurdle for you know a lot of the people I know is having the confidence to show their face. I'm an artist. Here's my art. This is how I make it. This is what I'm doing. And to then make that hurdle of like videos, um, showing the face and that kind of thing that that can be but it is so important and at the end of the day you know what nobody cares what you look like they're not interested in what you look like they're not sitting there going oh god look at the state of her hair oh dearie me it's a bit white you know this kind of thing it's like nobody cares because what they're doing is listening to what you're talking about yeah you know we we don't it's 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 not about us and what we look like it's about us being there and showing our personality and how we can help them because that's how people then connect. Oh, do you know what? She's a bit mad, but she's a person who can help me because she understands my world. You know, that's, that's the connection you want, you want to make. So it's back to that social thing. So, you know, am I, am I any good at social media? Probably not. I don't know, but it's like, you know, sometimes I do think, Am I just wasting my time with Instagram? It just drives me at the wall in some respects. But then that's where my audience is at the moment. Right. The other side of things is, you know, maybe I should do more on LinkedIn. My LinkedIn is pathetically out of date. Oh, it's really grim. I haven't posted anything on there for ages. Yes, there are more artists on there. What I what happens with me in LinkedIn is I get loads of folks saying, Hey, you know, do you want to, do you want to buy our thing? You know, I help coaches, I help people. Cost creators. You <laughs> yeah. feel like you've got this target on your back, you know, same with podcasting. Oh, you've got a podcast, do you want some podcast services? No, I used to do that myself years ago. I do it all myself. Thanks. I don't need podcast services. You know, it's like, Oh yes, I know. So my LinkedIn is, is pathetic. I really want to move to the model of getting my YouTube. I mean, I, I do have um, quite a lot of stuff on there. And a lot of my YouTube videos are not even videos. So it's the recordings of my audio with just the Good. image of the art. <laughs> People listen because my audience yeah. are sat doing the stitching or the craft and are listening. They're not looking right, at a right, screen. Right. So it still works, as stupid as it sounds, right? My audios yeah. work well on YouTube. Um so I, I think my, my next stage is to go back to what I know in terms of content marketing is evergreen stuff. So being being found in search, um, so yeah. YouTube and blogging and um, repurposing my videos. And also right. I really need to dig my Pinterest out. That's where I want to put, because I say I, Instagram is, is getting more and more of a challenge. And right at this moment in time, I don't want to dive out into ads. And I do strongly believe that to do well now on Facebook and Instagram, you need to be doing ads. And I, I, I don't really want to do that at the moment. So, yeah. you know, so that's that's my social media thing. <laughs> People look at it going, whoa, she's got this stupid pattern thing going. What's she doing? <laughs> but it's just show, show yourself, show your face. People love to connect. Yeah, you know right. with you and put a variety you know i try to show stuff about what i'm doing and then i'll also post a few bits and pieces i, I do a lot of running 
to, you know, there's often kind of sweaty pictures of me after running for a startup or I posted a stupid one yesterday. Yesterday, I'd been to a theme park. So it's like, you know, the, the photos. I'm, they make me howl no, so with laughing. Uh, so, yeah. one, of the, one of the guests that I spoke to recently, he specifically mentioned this part of posting uh, stupid things. Like, you know, he was at the uh, barbershop having his uh, haircut. And then he's like, oh, hey, you know, here's my new haircut. And, you know, it kind of shows your personal side. And then, you know, like you said, people like connecting and see the real person. And you, mm-hmm. you know, you also made a point about these gurus who are already there. And yeah. people, uh, you know, there's so much gap. How do people watching you suddenly go there, right? I mean, rather they'd listen to somebody who's building with them or who's growing with them. And yeah. uh, that's kind of where we are trying to bridge a gap by having people who are doing some real stuff themselves and then share their experience just like the way you did today. Yeah, um, exactly. And, that, and that's what people say to me. Well, they'll, they'll say, look, I can, obviously you're not, you're not up there. You're a few steps, you know, they'll say to me, yeah. you're obviously a few steps ahead of where I am and I want to be where you are now. You're the person to help me because I have a connection with you, etc. So and 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 so the trick for people listening is find that person who is two steps ahead, who you can feel that personal connection with, who you can actually talk to and that your your email or your tweet or your whatever is not going to go to the support team. It'll right. you know hopefully go to the actual person who you want to connect with. Yes. So, and yes. that's how you go from here up to there is in the stepping stones of finding the next right teacher for you to get you into that next step. And so again, all the way back round, it comes back to that. Who's the right person to help you now get from where your little step is to the next little step. We don't go from here up to there unless we've won the lottery or something or something outstanding happens. All those people up there started. Started, yeah, yeah, yeah. Started with the first rubbish video that they did. You know, the, yes. the first video is always going to be the worst. They've got them. They've deleted them now. Okay, right? Because they don't even want to think about how awful it was. But they started, and that is the main thing for anybody listening: to take some action. And if you don't have much money, then I think the best thing you can do is invest with an hour of somebody who does know. In that hour, you could like learn so much to get you right. on the right path rather than spending 30 hours bumbling around through YouTube and, 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 and learn nothing or even worse, learn the wrong thing because you don't understand why that thing was a good choice for somebody else and isn't, isn't for you. Yeah, and also make use of the free resources that people are offering. For example, you do have something people can take away without paying anything. Now, those are really valuable stuff, and it's definitely actionable. You can finish mm. that and go out and perform an action, and that is one step ahead. And then exactly. probably when you really I mean, need that, it. Uh, yeah, so, you know, so I've got this, like, little, I made a little learning path. So this is the right. um, follow these steps, unlock your profit, seven steps to turn your in-person classes into online money makers. So this is my new thing, but I've got videos for for each. Yeah, all of those. I saw them. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So you know, I've got I've got all of those. So it's it's getting that start. And Mike, I've got another one. I mean, that's just what my cup is all about. You know, cost creation, right. quick, quick start. Um, similar kind of thing. Um, 
basically gave the mind map of all of the steps of the traditional kind of build then sell approach and a checklist and stuff like that so there's always loads of stuff in my my freebies you don't just get a one sheet pdf but uh, yeah you can learn a lot from those as well and then then you can then think well do you know what actually i'm going to you know pick this thing but i would always really try and understand the the strategy and the the detail behind is that thing actually going to serve you and your students you know it's always back right. to that with me so uh it's been a great conversation thank you so much for sharing uh, candidly and generously uh, it's been a pleasure talking to you uh, i'm pretty uh, confident that you know there's so much to take away from this conversation for people listening about learning course creation yeah my, my, my top tip is just don't believe what all the gurus say it is harder than what they say and it will take you longer than what you want yeah. it to but if the, the the magic key if there's a magic key it's carve out the time you won't find it it's not lying around for you to find you have to carve out your time turn other things down and focus on investing that time and money now so that you can be in the situation where you want to be in a year's time. It's not a race, okay? And the thing that wins is consistent action taking. Even if that's half an hour a week, it's better than no time Nothing. in a yeah. week. Because our, our time, you know, all of a sudden it's like, oh, wow, that six months has gone past. You know, here we are in the middle of June, right? You know, so that's the, 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 the main thing is that consistent action on your terms and don't let anybody kind of rush you don't don't give up because you haven't got there fast enough you will get there we're all different we've all got a different path different path to take so just keep you know keep keep that in mind take action um, and make make that time that's the key great thank you sue this podcast is brought to you by Edison OS, a no-code edtech platform to operate an online education business. Knowledge entrepreneurs can use Edison OS to sell online courses from their own websites, manage online masterclasses, launch mobile learning apps, sell online practice tests for competitive exams, run online learning communities, digitizing their offline tutoring business, use it as a learning management system, and a lot more cases in the domain of knowledge commerce.